Welcome to the podcast. I'm Isaac Carroll, and this is What Do I Know? I have never been a big Proverbs reader. As I was coming up into the faith, I was drawn to stories of the Bible about great characters of faith who are forever remembered in Scripture by the lives they lived. The greatest form of flattery and honors to emulate someone, and who better to emulate than great men of the Bible? Now, the problem with this is that they were just as human as I am, and they made just as many mistakes in their walk with God. The glorious thing we learn about this is that God never left them, even though they failed. But he did discipline them. And because they were great men whose lives would be remembered to the end of time, God's discipline was sometimes harsh. I mean, I'm no Moses or David, but we know that Moses wasn't allowed to go into the promised land because he struck the stone twice, which wasn't what God told him to do. And this this seems harsh to us by our standards. But I believe it's because we aren't trying to seek to understand the mind of God. And we must remember that the greater the call on a man, the harsher God's discipline was. And I thank God I'm no Moses. But it's because God disciplined Moses so harshly that I I have expected God to discipline me in my sin. Now you may ask, Isaac, what do you do and what do you sin that's so great that God needs to discipline you for? Now I think it's important to, to have a relationship with someone in order to understand their mindset. And if I don't explain my mindset to you, you will have a hard time to understand my guilt. To understand me, you must first understand what I believe. And I believe there are two types of Christians. And I want you to understand, this is not a debate on who's right or wrong. It's only to inform you what I perceive to be a mindset we can have as Christians. We have those who are on the grace-only side. And we have those who are on the conformity side. Now, I know that some will advocate that there's a third side, that ones that bring up the middle on both. But for right now, I think it'd be easier to explain all this if I stick to this, these two types. We'll start with grace. I feel this side to be the most prevalent. So I'll speak to what I know of, of, of what is true about this side. I believe those who live under grace live the freest lives. I have a brother who shouts, I am free at almost every meeting that we go to. And I absolutely love him because he truly believes it, that God makes it so. I feel like those who rely on grace alone are the most compassionate. And I feel I feel like they're the biggest encouragers. I feel that those who rely on grace alone are the closest to the truth and what we need and how we should think. Because they are right in the fact that that's all that saves us. But where there is good, there's also the opportunity for corruption. False teachings and things that coincide with this belief. It's where we get the once saved, always saved. You can live any way you want once you've received Christ. They believe if it's true that God says don't judge and that we all sin, then let's just all live together living free under God's grace any way we want and not judge one another. And this all sounds good, but we know that isn't the complete truth in Scripture. Then we go to the other side of the spectrum. The conformity side. This is the side I most closely relate to. Now, I know there's extremes to each side. And I, as I mentioned before, we have those who fall into the temptation of too much grace. That they, they, they believe they can live like sinners and still be saved. And, and 
I I happen to happen to fall on the other side, the almost to the extreme other side. And this is where I fail because I fail into the temptation of to put too much emphasis on my own sanctification and not not enough grace in my life. It's my belief and understanding of what happened to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 51. He says, I will boast about such a man, but I will not boast about myself, except in my weaknesses. Even if I wanted to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I will refrain. He will not credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me, or because of these surpassing great revelations. So to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Paul was focusing a little too much on what he was doing, what he was capable of doing, and not what God was allowing and empowering him to do. What we do is important, but we have to remember that we aren't the ones doing it. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. How would know Paul felt weak? Listen to what he says in 1 Timothy 1 and 15. It says, this is a trustworthy saying, worthy of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Now, this man was the one credited for writing over half the New Testament. And he was the worst of sinners? How can that be? I have heard that the closer you get to God, the more sinful you see yourself. And if this is true, then sometimes I felt that I was at the very feet of Jesus for all the sinfulness I see in myself. Now, when I talk this way, I have on occasion seen absolute disbelief and concern in my fellow brother's eyes. They think I'm too hard on myself. They say I have never gotten over my Pentecostal upbringing. And in my mind, I just want to shout back at them. Don't you believe all that scripture tells you is true? That it's 100% accurate from God and it gives you understanding? That it should guide you on how you should live? Now, these are all rhetorical questions because you can't call yourself a believer and not believe. And it's by these very scriptures that I have felt both condemnation and hope. They show me my sin and my selfishness. They expose the lies that are in me. That I have no choice but to face the fact that I am a wretched sinner. But it also gives me hope. Because I know I'm saved by God's grace. And blessed is the man that God does not hold his sins against him. It's his very promises that keep me sane and keep me moving forward. I believe God has laid it on my heart to teach. What does the word tell us about teachers? James 3 and 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. Because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. And if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to control his whole body. By these very words and the calling on my life, I know that I will be judged more strictly. Let me put a little more emphasis on this and tell you what Jesus said in Luke. Luke 12, starting at 47, says, That servant who knows his master's will but does not get up ready and follow his instructions will be beaten with many blows. The one who unknowingly does things worthy of punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from him who has been entrusted with much, even more will be demanded. 
Do you not understand what this says? Those who have been given understanding, much will be required of them. The more you get, the more that's going to be required of you. What does Jesus say in John 9, 39? Then Jesus declared, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind may see. Those who see may become blind. Now some of the Pharisees heard him and said, Are we blind too? He said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But since you claim you can see, your guilt remains. All this reminds me of that old adage that says, Ignorance is no excuse for breaking the law. But with God, if you knowingly break it versus unknowingly makes a difference. And God knows our hearts. So what then do I do? Do I plead with God to take away my knowledge? So that my obligation will be less? God forbid. What do we learn from the story of Moses? You, we see that much was required of Moses. God asked him to do a lot of things. And he wasn't allowed to enter the promised land because of a disobedience. But what did Moses get in return for his faithful acts? He got to see God face to face. He spoke to God as a friend. He was one of the most blessed men who ever lived. Because God counted him as worthy. I know that I have some amazing interactions with God. And sometimes those interactions are less than pleasing. Guilt and shame are my offerings. But on the other hand, God speaks to me. No, the voice isn't always audible. And sometimes it's God reminding me of his scriptures as I find myself in a situation. But I know that he speaks to me. He speaks to me because I seek him and I desire knowledge of him from the deepest recesses of my heart. His word is true. He says, when you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. I find that God has formed a very unique relationship with me. And it's one that I am blessed to be a part of. And I wouldn't change it for anything in the world. And this is why I become so frustrated with some believers. For some reason, we as Christians have come up with this idea that nothing is required of us in our walk with Christ. We become followers in name only. We forget that To give our lives to Jesus makes us slaves to him. Do you not recall the verse where he says, pay to Caesar what is Caesar's and pay to God what is God's? What image is on the dollar? Well, obviously someone who's not God. But what image is man made in? Well, we're made in God's image. So we give to God what belongs to God. And so we're clear. That's everything we have, including ourselves. Now, bear in mind, I'm, I'm talking to you based on my understanding of where I am in sin in myself. Now, we know that where we spend our time and our money is a pretty good indicator of what we find is important in our lives. And when I spend money chasing after things of this world, cars, clothes, entertainment, hobbies, whatever, it proves that in my mind, I'm still focused on things of the world and not completely on God. It speaks to the truth of my sinfulness. Now, I don't want any of you and don't expect any of you to fall after me. We all have things we struggle with and God has given you what is yours. What God gives you is yours. And I'm not trying to weigh you down with any burdens that I try to carry. 
It's just my call to tell you what the word says and to point out truth. I have no choice in this. I couldn't stop even if I wanted to, and I've tried. But I've often said to myself, who am I that I, that I believe God called me to teach? A good friend and a brother of mine sent me a devotional recently that touched my heart. And it was when I feel like an imposter. It was by Reverend Kyle Norman. I don't think he could have hit the nail any square on the head with me. Because that's often how I feel. How could God really be calling me such a wretch and failure to teach? I mean, doesn't my failures prove my inadequacy as a teacher? Who am I to point out God's command when I have failed to follow them to the letter? It reminds me of the words Paul's used in 1 Corinthians 9, starting verse 26. It says, Therefore, I do not run aimlessly. I do not fight like I'm beating the air. No, I discipline my body and I make it my slave. So that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. And in my walk, I felt like a Pharisee preaching absolute conformity as required. That the word teaches us to deny self and pick up our cross. And we're just say that and I believe it. But what happens when I have failed to do that? Brings to mind Matthew 23. Jesus spoke to the crowds and the disciples saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, whatever they tell you to do, do it and comply with it all. But do not do as they do. For they say things and they do not do them. They tie heavy burdens and lay them on a people's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them, so with so much as a finger. They do all their deeds to be noticed by others. Now I know there's a difference. I don't care to be seen by anyone. Part where it says, don't do as they do, for they say things and do not do them. This is what I'm referring to. The same brother who sent me the devotional asked me if I expected to walk on water. I laughed. He has a way of getting his point across. Yes, he's one of those grace brothers I love and, and sometimes I wish I could fall in line with. The one thing I don't want to do is seat myself in the chair of Moses. I don't want to weigh anybody down with cares and worries. I don't want to render anyone ineffective in Christ. All I want to do is teach that people need to be, need to be different. They need to, they need to be sanctified and live life separate from the world. They need to be holy. I believe the scripture teaches us we should live apart from the world, not away from the world, but as indifferent from the world. That we should stick out like sore thumbs. We should be a light in a dark place. These things help us in our ministries. And we all have ministries because we've all been called to spread the gospel. Now, at the very beginning of this podcast, I said that I had never been a very avid Proverbs reader. And it's a shame. I believe if I had studied those teachings and took them to heart, my my life story would have been a little bit filled with a little bit less regret and heartache. And one such proverb that's been tickling in the back of my mind lately has been Proverbs 3. The first part of it says, My son, do not forget my teachings, but have your heart comply with my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So that you will find favor and good reputation in the sight of God and of men. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. This proverb has much to say to us, much to teach us. Some of that part that's been tickling back in my mind is the part where it says, Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge God. I sinned recently. Not that I broke a commandment, but I had made a promise to God and to myself that I wasn't going to focus on the world. I was, wasn't going to gratify my flesh by getting back into debt. I had been blessed recently by paying off everything but my house, and it was a great relief to me. I was blessed in it. Told God I was going to be a better steward of all the things he gave me, and I was going to focus on blessing others. I said it, and I believed it at the time. But life has a way of calling you a liar. And once the lying game begins, I tend to go full speed. I had an older truck that I had um, extra, and I ended up giving it to my sister, who needed it more than me. And then my lease was coming due on my Jeep, so I needed to buy a new truck. I didn't want to buy a new truck. I wanted to pay cash. But with prices the way that things are nowadays, it's, it's it was impossible to find anything that I could afford that was worth having. So I ended up financing an older truck. But this is how debt starts. And I'm not saying pride doesn't have anything to do with it, but I've always been a guy, a truck guy. I've always been a car guy. I've always loved vehicles. And I love to make them unique. I like modifying them. It's just, it's a hobby of mine. I feel like I have a creative spirit and an eye for a certain beauty. And I saw what that truck could be. So I, I set out to make it so. Now, I wouldn't say I'm obsessed, but it fits pretty well. So we'll go with that. Um, I like finishing what I start. So I, I did. I didn't, I didn't wait to build up the money to buy things. I just financed them and put it all together and figure I'd just pay it off. Well, then unforeseen things happen. By the grace of God, I gained a new member of my family. I gained a new son-in-law. Their getting married didn't cost me anything. They paid for their own wedding, but they lived in a different state, and there was a few of us that needed to fly up, and this all cost money. And staying a few days in some hotels and flying and renting cars, and, and then we enjoyed ourselves while we were there. This this all requires money, and I'm not regretful in any way. It was a, It was a great blessing, and I had a wonderful time. And I'm blessed by the fact that I have a new son-in-law. I'm blessed by Chris and Hannah Rowan. I'm blessed that they got married to honor God and each other. Which reminds me, I need to pray for them more. We should all pray for new couples because we know marriage can be, it can be hard. So take a moment, if you would, and, and pray for new couples. They need it. Well, as you can see, life is happening and I'm, I'm rolling along just as happy as I can be. Earlier in the year, I had bought a ticket to go back to Israel with my church. And as the time was getting closer, I was really prepping to, to go on this trip. You know, I was so I've been so excited. And then the war broke out. Everything suddenly changed. I was so heartbroken over Israel and angry at what was going on in the world. And the one part that's really not worth mentioning because of its insignificance of it, 
But I had been looking so forward to that trip, I was deeply disappointed that we weren't going. I had even mentioned it because of all that Israel was going through. But I, I want to speak the truth and make the devil a liar. I was focusing a lot on the work in the beginning, and it wasn't doing me or Israel any good. I vowed to pray for them every day and, and distract myself with something different. So I started messing around with an old hobby. I laid this hobby down a while back because it was expensive and there wasn't really any use for it, but it distracted me. So there were some old projects that I had, I had started. I didn't finish. So I, I set out to start finishing these projects, put things together. And these things cost money too. And it was during one of these projects that I was reminded of the promise I made to God about my finances. And I knew that I had spent money and I, I had incurred more debt and I had broke my promise to God. And that was bad enough. But then I added insult to injury. I was, I just started a new project and it was the middle of this project that God reminded me of my promise. And I said to myself, you know, I'm in this deep. I didn't want to stop. Like I said, I have a, I want to say obsession with finishing things I start, but Kind of what happened. So I did. I bought the items that I need to finish the project. And it was a huge mistake. Because it cost me my peace. To me, it was almost like willfully sinning. I found that I couldn't pray and ask forgiveness when what I did was on purpose. I mean, I wanted to be forgiven. I wanted to gain that closest back with God, but... I had damaged it in a way that I just couldn't fix it. This made me struggle all the more in prayer, wanting to reconcile what, what I did. I just couldn't fix it. I couldn't say I made a mistake. I mean, even though I did, I couldn't say it because I, I knowingly did it. I did it on purpose. That's not something a man like me can apply to grace so easily. It smacks too closely of living any way you want because of, because of grace. And I refused to do that. So I squirmed. I called out to God, but he wasn't answering me. I know he didn't leave me. I know that because of his word, but it sure felt that way. It's not a feeling I ever want to feel again. I was in the class the other night and I was explaining the situation to the men's group. My brother who sent me the devotional says to me, out of all the things you said tonight, I haven't heard the first thing about grace. I told him it was because of God's grace that I was so ashamed. I kind of wanted to sing that song to him. I don't want to abuse God's grace because I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really made me want to change. Lucky for him and you, I know I can't sing, so I'll spare you that suffering. I was blessed that night with great love and support from among, among my brothers. They all think I'm crazy, but they love me anyway. It was the next day that I was sitting there, sitting here at the table, uh, doing my, doing my study that I got a text from a brother of mine who missed class that night. I asked him if everything was okay. I told him I missed him. He said, yeah, everything was fine. He just had a huge fight with his wife and he was been recently married, but everything was good now. And he hoped to see me that, that night at the men's fire class. I laughed out loud and I told him, I told him as much. 
I told him I would be absolutely shocked if that never happened. I told him it was good. It was good that they argued because that's how we grow and learn from one another. We have to struggle together and sometimes against each other to really appreciate and understand each other. It was after writing these words that God gave me that aha moment that we all love to experience. God said he allowed me to struggle within myself because I had gotten out of line with him. He wanted to show me that I had put a little too much emphasis on my holiness and what I do and not enough on his grace and his love. I know that I'm far from perfect. But as a man who loves the Lord, I want to prove that love by being the best version of myself I could possibly be. If people think I'm not living free, and I get too caught up in my failures, that's okay. If my struggles can help anyone in their walk, I'm blessed. Because God has found me worthy. God wasn't finished with me either. In my heart and in my thoughts, I knew I deserved discipline. And knowing God's loved me and, and God disciplines those he loves, I expected that to be a, I expected there to be a discipline. And in my thoughts, I figured that some kind of financial crisis, seeing as how I failed in that area, it would, it would come in a financial crisis of some sort. And in my heart, I was trying to prepare myself to praise him and glorify him in that crisis that he allowed me to face. I wanted to be worthy even though I'm not. And I understand this can be a vicious circle for those who focus too much on their failures as I do. But in true loving God fashion, he blessed me instead. The company I worked for was sold. And I found myself now working for a new company. I wasn't overly concerned about the buyout because I'd been through three of these before. And I felt pretty safe in my, I felt pretty confident my job would be safe and things would go on pretty much as they did before without too many terrible changes. I got a call from my wife just shortly after I got off the phone with CJ. She asked me, she said, what is the extra check you received from work? This was all news to me because I hadn't heard anything and didn't know anything. So I went and checked my bank account. Sure enough, that was a really nice extra check in my, my account. And so I instantly called my boss and I said, okay, was this a severance check? What's going on? And he laughed and he said, the company wanted to show their appreciation for everyone for the hard work. So they gave everyone a bonus as part of the sale. You see how good God is? Can I get an amen? Somebody? Anybody? <laughs> he turns my failures and fears into a blessing. I expected a crisis and I got a blessing instead. I've shared all this to you so I can bring you back to Proverbs 3. Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge God. This message was made clear to me today. I hope it has helped you. God bless you and until next time, goodbye.